Hi, this is Rachel McElroy. Hello, this is Griffin McElroy. And this is wonderful. Mm, let me hike this leg up. Let me throw it on over the big old horsey. Get it up on over there, back in the saddle again. Oh, yeah, you are. Good for you. I'm up so high. They don't tell you that about horses, do they? The first They're time you really, get on a horse, you're like, here really we go. high up. You're like, here we go, baby. Time for an equine adventure. I've always dreamed. Whoa, I'm like fucking 11 feet off the ground right now. When have you been on a horse? I, I was on a horse about this, but I- one time. Oh, it was like a church thing. It was my youth pastor's farm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I climbed up on a horse, bareback, baby. Really? Yeah. We, it How was did a, you get on there? Uh, gumption. No, but you don't have like a physics to put in the saddle. I was helped up by the aforementioned youth pastor and uh, got bucked <laughs> pretty quickly. Just one little buck, as if to say, like, no, child, <laughs> you're not ready. And the just the just so they also don't tell you about the bones in there. There's bones in the horse. And so the, that those got me just a little bit in my delicate little china cabinet down there. I can't believe your youth pastor thought it would be a good idea to put a person who had never ridden a horse before on one without a saddle. Well, he wanted me to have that obviously very spiritual connection between man and beast. <laughs> but anyway, this is wonderful. This is a show where we talk about things that we're really into, things that make us happy. It's been a long time since we've done one. It's been 800 years. Yeah. Um, but we're here, we're back, it's a new year, new you, new me, new us, new them, and do you have any sm- of those small wonders? I mean, I have a lot. Oh, um, shoot, all right. I'm not going to share all of them, it's just been a long time since we've recorded. Yeah, that's true. Um, but I'm really liking my, my e-reader. Uh, yes, I got Rachel a uh, paper white for uh, yeah. Christmas, and it uh, is so, I like e-ink. I like it. It's my favorite type of ink is this e-ink. I was really hesitant because I thought, oh, this is such a small screen. You're going to read like two paragraphs per page. That must get really old, like constantly swiping, but it actually increases the sense of accomplishment. Yeah. You see the little percentage at the bottom? That's great. Yeah. I love mine. I love it. I love the idea of it being like... Um, like your like cyber knowledge companion. Uh-huh. Uh, there's a Neil Stevenson book called The Diamond Age or an illustrated manual for young women or something like that. And the whole premise is just like this uh, young, uh, poor, uneducated, like little girl somehow happens along this magic, essentially like Wikipedia book that teaches you how to yeah. become like, and she turns into like this superhero. I like that idea of just like, this is my, this is my knowledge bank. Yeah, fits in my purse. Battery lasts forever. Yeah, I've been. Uh, I've been. My small wonder is uh, I've been reading Medallion Status on it. Oh, isn't that good? It's such a good book. It's uh It's the new John Hodgman book. Uh, we had him on the show on my Bim Bam to talk about it, and uh, oh, I am. Yeah. I am late to late to read it, but um, I am. I am enjoying it quite a bit. It's. It's very. He's so fucking funny, and this is like one of. Uh, a handful of books that I find like kind of deeply relatable, especially the sort of chapters about like uh, more menial observations about like a travel-based lifestyle, yeah. uh, which is, you know, hence the I'm title of the book. I'm reading also friend of Max Fun, uh, City of Girls by Elizabeth Gilbert. Oh, how is it? It's so fun. She, in a lot of interviews she's given about the book, she's described it as a romp. And I thought, I don't really know what that means. Now I do. That's exactly what it is. It's a romp. Is it madcap in any way? Is it yes. A, is it, yes. Are there capers? Yes. Oh, oh, boy. So fun. Hey, what's your first topic for today's episode of Wonderful? My first thing is the wintertime pastime of ice skating. Oh, okay. 
I mean, one of mine is also a wintertime pastime, but if oh. you had duped mine, it would have been pretty wild. This is going to happen some week, and I'm kind of excited about it. I think 2020 is the year where we dupe it. Okay. So ice skating. Ice skating. Give me some background here. What's your background? I, so I I went roller skating a couple times, but the thing where I was growing up was ice skating. And your parents would drop you off at the ice skating rink for like hour and a half, two hours. You'd maybe get like a few stickers out of the vending machine. Uh, and you'd skate around. If you were lucky, like me, you had your own skates. I had hockey skates Whoa. that I asked for one Christmas, uh, which is much easier. They're much easier to skate on, like the figure skates with the toe pick. It's a real hard time. But ice skates for with hockey, no toe pick. I would have to imagine that they they would be a little bit broader blades, yes, because like you don't gotta like. You know, fucking yeah. spin on them. Mm-hmm. You don't got to. That's gotta, probably true. Yeah. Although, yeah. what if there was a hockey player who was like, "Nah, I want that very, very slender, delicate blade." Mighty, Mighty Ducks. Mighty Ducks. You is... remember the woman on Mighty Ducks who was the figure skater that they brought on their team? No, it's been so long. She'd since spin I... around and distract all the players, and then she'd <laughs> score a goal. That's probably. <laughs> that's maybe not how it would pan out. No, I don't think so. Um, but you know. She did it. So. She did it. It's a fantastical. Uh, it's a fantastical movie. Also, I, I super have always loved watching figure skating during the Winter Olympics. Oh hell yeah! I could name like a dozen figure skaters. What's Tokyo? What's the summer's the next one? It's summer's this year, right? In Tokyo, or the next it, winter one is twenty twenty two. Right. I think. This is summer in Tokyo. Is summer on mm-hmm. Ah, mm-hmm. shoot. I like summer. It's just uh, I, I, you know, swimming, swimming. It's good. But you've seen one wet person. <laughs> you've seen them all. Okay. Nobody tapes knives to themselves and goes really fast on a hard surface in the summer ones. You know what I mean? True. So ice skating. Ice skating. Um, been around for a super long time. Used to be primarily for traveling. Uh, when you in the 15th century of the Netherlands, people used to holy shit use it to get around. This probably started with like a sled, right? And then somebody was like, that's cool, but what if it was just our shoes? Ice skates were made from leg bones of horses, ox, or deer. So these used to be like bone skates. Then my thing is probably, how, <laughs> that's way wilder than my thing. Their thing is like, oh, look at that leg bone. I'm going to put that right on my feet. Oh, I'm going really fast on this cold stuff. <laughs> they were attached to the feet with leather straps. Okay. So, you know, using all parts of the animal. You know, that is taking it in a very literal direction. <laughs> um, it didn't really become a sport uh, until, um, well, first, so the first there's ice skating uh, as like races. The f- oh, the fens uh, in England, they would flood the the meadows and then they would race. Uh, the fastest uh, skater would like go around a barrel and whatever, and they would win. So not really like figure skating as we understand it, just like skating as a race. I mean, they're on that Apollo place. Anton Ono shit, it sounds like. Yeah, exactly. I can't believe you remembered his middle name, too. Who calls him Apollo Ono? Me. Really? Yeah. I, I, for me, this is like a like a Judge Lance Ito <laughs> thing. Like, you can't not say Lance. That's Judge Ito. It's Apollo Anton Ono. All right. Um... So the fastest skater, uh, this is a world record that was set in 2015, uh, 36 miles an hour. That is wild. Isn't that incredible? If you bump into something going that fast, 
that's it, right? Like 36 miles an hour is quite a bit How of... How did you even get up to that speed? Like, was it a really long track? Or were they going down, downhill? Mm. Uh, were they doing that Tsubasa shit? Were they going down like that, um, the oh. Red Bull, like uh, BMX track, yeah. except it's fucking ice and you're on ice skates? I don't know. Um, can I tell you about about figure skating, though, as we know it today? Mm, I wish you would. So it's actually an American uh, named Jackson Haynes, who was a trained dancer who brought uh, dancing to skating in the 1860s. He would play music and he would dance around with his, his twirls and his jumps. Uh, at the time, people were just used to skating for like racing purposes. They weren't used for this like kind of graceful art form. Hmm. Uh, so he couldn't really get it to take off in America. So he headed to Europe, uh, set up a skating school in Vienna, and his style of ice dancing became known as the Viennese and later the international style. Apparently, so he's seen as kind of an icon because he did the first paired dancing with another man. The man uh and him did a routine where one of them dressed as a bear and the other dressed as a trainer fuck yes and they did a whole like routine on the ice as a pair yuri on ice season two yes. fuck yeah <laughs> uh it first started at the olympic games actually in the summer olympics 1908 uh and then moved to the winter olympics in 1924 because it makes that it makes, makes sense. a lot more sense <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um I I love it. I don't know what exactly about ice skating really appeals to me, like whether it's the athleticism or the grace. Uh, I don't know. I just have always loved it. I, I mean, I don't. it's not the whole reason, obviously, that I love hockey, but it's a big part of it. Uh, I do, too. It's been a very, very long time uh, since I have done it. It's been I can't remember the last time I did it. I was on the ice when we went curling. I've been curling much more oh, recently yeah. than I've been ice skating. Uh, hey, can I tell you about my first thing? Yes. I'm glad you went that deep. I hope your second topic you go deep on too, because both mine are pretty lil. Um, but my first one here is, you know me, I like a product that like I know accomplishes what I use it for, like that I can rely on 100% of the time that it's going to do what it's going to do. And today it struck me while I was in the shower, how much I like conditioner. <laughs> This is the uh, this is the soft gooey stuff, and it makes your hair feel really good. And you are you gonna speak? Are you gonna speak to your complicated history with? conditioner? I have a tough history with conditioner, which is to say, I thought it was a myth. <laughs> I didn't think it was a thing that you had to use. It's like an extra step that you maybe didn't need. That I didn't think I needed uh, all the way through college. Uh, probably about 2010 is when I started. I feel like when I met you, you were still doing the two in one. Uh, that's not possible. I'm pretty sure. Maybe that was, I mean, that was what, 2011? Yeah. yeah I was still kind of a fucking dirt bag back then. <laughs> uh, I, yeah. So I didn't really know that conditioner was like a thing that people y used. I think if you go back, I think maybe even the first episode of Mabim Bam, we really dive into my like sort of, yeah, um, your complicated shower habits. My, yeah. <laughs> well, not knowing that like soap is different from shampoo is different from conditioner. I thought it was all kind of just the same. So that wasn't just like a bit that was real. No. Yeah. That was, uh, tragically very real. <laughs> so I didn't condition for, you know, 23 years or Did so. Did you have like a real bristly hair? I had very bristly hair. Uh, it was it was incredibly bristly. It was very dry, very poofy. 
uh, just uh, huge dry ass hair. And uh, I think I am a very special like supporter of conditioner for that very reason. And then I was late to the game and the first time I put conditioner, my, well, it's not instant, but like after I started conditioning for a while, I was like, oh, hey, my hair is like resting tenderly on the top of my head <laughs> like hair does sometimes for yeah. other people. How wild. I think, and, and nowadays, like I, it is, it does feel kind of instant. Like if my hair is feeling really dry and kind of gross. Yeah. I know if I go in the shower and I do put that cream on it. It's a confession gonna, for me. Sometimes I still skip it. Oh, I still skip it too. Because you, you do got to like use your natural oils. Your natural oils are, are you know, are still fucking top Well, and as somebody with real fine hair, like I don't want to put product on top of product on my, That's on my fair. hair. That's fair. I'll weigh it right down. That's fair. Uh, for me, though, I, I still get very dry. I still get very crispy up there. Rub a little bit of conditioner. Now, I had no idea how conditioner works, so I looked it up, and the explanation is very scientific. Here's a, a quote. And the outermost layer of a hair follicle is called the cuticle, and it's composed li- uh, largely of keratin, which is rich in uh, cystine group. Okay, I'm going to skip past <laughs> all of this. Uh, when the hair is watch, washed, uh, these groups can deteriorate, giving the hair a negative charge. Positively charged quaternary ammonium species, such as big word or big word, can then become attached to the hair via electrostatic interactions. Whoa. There's a lot of... I expected it to just be like, this cream... Like is lotion. creamy. It's, like you put it it's on and it's lotion soft. for the hair. Maybe this is what lotion does to the skin anyway. Anyway, it just lubricates the surface of each of your hair follicles. Uh, and so it reduces that, that rough sensation. Uh, and uh, it, it reduces, it also sort of uh, pushes the hairs away from each other electrostatically, oh. uh, which is another benefit. So okay. it can like reduce, that's why it feels so smooth to like run a comb through it is because you it's not clumping. The tangles, yeah. the tangles have gone away. Uh, the frizzing goes away. The outsides of your hair gets all lubed up. Uh, one last fun fact. In the 1800s, before conditioner was, uh, was, came around, they used to use what was called Macassar oil. Uh, have you ever heard of that? No. It's just an oil. This is an <laughs> oil. This is oil, like an olive oil, but oh. it's an oil, and you just put it all in there, and you lube okay. it up in a very like non-scientific sense. Uh, everybody was using Macassara oil, and it started to fuck up everybody's upholstery on their oh. chairs. Uh, so this led to an invention called the anti-Macassar. Uh, which is a washable cloth that you drape over the like head of a chair. Uh, and to this day, you can still find anti-Macassars in like buses yeah. and uh, some like trains will just have those like cloths draped over the, the headrest that you can uh, yeah. just pop up. I didn't know that those were called anti-Macassars, wow. which is a very, very long name for what should just be like head oil catcher stopper. Mm-hmm. Anyway... Can I ask you a question? Yeah. That's personal in nature. Do I do it on my bush? Yes. Whoa, really? <laughs> that was exactly my wow, question. <laughs> I remember not it, that didn't even occur to me. And then I remember being in college and talking to some girls that I was living with and them suggesting that that was an effective way to make uh, your downstairs softer. And I just didn't believe it. So I never tried. Oh, you never you never tried. You never even accidentally no, tried. The, you didn't experiment with conditioner in college? <laughs> Because the idea with conditioner, right, is that you like put it on your hair and then you kind of like wash your body and do other right. stuff and then you rinse it out. So it sits on your hair for a little while. I kind of like 
put it downstairs and then wait. Wait, just twiddle keep your, my thumbs. Keep your until... business out of the stream of water. Yeah, yeah. Just do so some, I guess you have do some heavy butt work. Uh, yeah, sure. Based sure. on your response, have you found a, a noticeable difference? I mean, yeah, it's fucking hair, man. It's hair. It's not like the conditioner uh, particles are like. Wait a minute. <laughs> Are these pubes? I'm out of here, dude. No, guys, it's guys, it's pubes. Let's get the hell out of here. <laughs> the hair down there is coarse in nature, and so I figured, like, I don't know how to break it to you. Twenty three years without using conditioner, my hair and my pubes in college <laughs> were indis- indistinguishable. <laughs> it's got very real. Can I steal you away? Yes. Oh, it's Rothy's. Here it comes. You know, I'm your go-to. Spit some righteous Rothy's game. Yeah, so here's the thing about Rothy's. Um, A lot of people wear flats. It's not unusual to wear flats, but do you have flats in a variety of colors? Probably not. No, no, no. Probably have like a black pair and a brown pair and whatever. Listen, I've got a red pair. Holy shit. I've got a black pair that has little gold stripies in it. I've got a teal pair. Yeah. These are colors you don't find in the wild. No. <laughs> Rothy's provides them to you. Uh, and they also uh, have diverted over 35 million water bottles from landfills. Yeah, that's a... the creation of these shoes. That's a ton. That's a, a lot. lot of them. Uh, you can check out all the amazing styles available right now at rothys.com slash wonderful. That's R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash wonderful to get your new favorite flats comfort style and sustainability these are the shoes you've been waiting for head to rothys.com slash wonderful today meundies is here they are here to cradle you you are sad because the holidays are over or maybe you are stoked out of your mind in either case you deserve to be comfortable meundies are here uh for that exact purpose they are underwear they are lounge pants they are uh big big onesies they are socks they're all so comfortable. They all look so good. And uh, they are kind enough to send us uh, packages of MeUndies with most of the new designs, which is pretty, pretty rad. It's a it's a pretty, um, uh, it's probably the best benefit of this life that we lead together. It's real surprising every month, I think. They're going to cut us off. Surely they'll cut us off. Again. Like, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> and you know what? And I don't want to keep revealing too many sad things about sort of my hygiene. <laughs> But when I do reach sort of the end of the rainbow, you put off laundry. I put off laundry, and I'm down to like the snickel fritz. It's not unusual for Griffin to do four loads of laundry in a day for this reason, right? Thanks, Mandy's. I will ride that shit till you know the needle's way past empty, <laughs> and then what's that in the mail? It's more Mandy's. <laughs> That's what I'm wearing. I'm wearing currently my like break glass in case of emergency. Oh, MeUndies. have you not done laundry since Christmas? Anyway, so if it's a, they're great. Anyway, if you want to get 15% off your first pair of free shipping and a 100% satisfaction guarantee, go to MeUndies.com slash wonderful. That's MeUndies.com slash wonderful. Can I read a personal message to you? Uh, uh-oh, yeah. This one is for Peter. It is from Tiffany. Hey, Peter, I just wanted to let you know, I think you're a cutie and you know it's official because I paid $100 to do it. I hope your day is going great, and hopefully this will make it just a little better. You're my best friend. Here's to lazy Sundays, drinking mimosas, and playing video games, and the occasional train town party. Love you. Lazy, lazy Sunday. Uh, that's what I took away from that message. Uh, do you remember that funny video? 
Are they liquid? Yeah, so red, red vines. Red vines, crazy delicious. Yeah. Matthew Perry. What's a train town party, do you think? That is a funny, it, it's funny that you bring that up. So, train town is a very special town <laughs> that. Your improv skills are incredible. <laughs> train town, train town. You know, uh, Thomas the Tank Engine? Yes. It's not that. Oh, that's what I thought of. No. No. You know Shining Time Station? Yes. It's not that either. No. It's what a- about Soul Train? Or Come on, Ride the Train and Ride It? That's what it is. Okay. Yeah. I know that party. Uh, so you go the, uh, you go there and... Um, if you I'll, feel like dancing. If you feel like dancing, you, you come on, go for it. But if you, don't, if you don't feel like dancing, nobody's going to pressure you. <laughs> Can I tell uh, the other Jumbotron? Yes. This one's for Natalie, and it's uh, from Carlin, who says, To my Wonder Woman wife and favorite D&D buddy, Natalie, when I'm writing this, you're on the road to starting a new career in programming. I hope when, you get, uh, when this gets read, you're super successful in coding the Matrix like Neo. If so, please let our robot overlords know how much I love you. I mean, that's going to confuse them. That's going to confuse the robot overlords. Do you think robots don't understand love? Um, the, the ones that are programmed to, I think probably do. Maybe that's what Natalie is, is working on is just like, you know. Love robots? Well, the sort of love algorithm. You know what Ooh. I mean? Yeah. That sounds like a Michael Crichton novel. Uh, a bad one. Yeah. <laughs> it's like if colon, uh, you, you know, personality, personality equals good and, uh, if, you know, single, then let's get, let's do this, baby. Michael Crichton wrote, and then 10 dinosaurs showed up. <laughs> he has to put big dinosaurs in every one of his books now. Hi, I'm Allie Gertz. And I'm Julia Prescott. And we host Round Springfield. Springfield. Round Springfield is a new Simpsons podcast that is Simpsons adjacent. Mm-hmm. Um, in its topic, we talk to Simpsons writers, directors, voiceover actors, you name it, about non-Simpsons things that they've done. Because, surprise, they're all extremely talented. Absolutely. For example, David X. Cohen worked on The Simpsons, but then created a little show called Futurama. Mm-hmm. That's our very first episode. So yeah. tune in for stuff like that with Yardley Smith, with Tim Long, with different writers and voice actors. It's going to be so much fun. And we are every other week on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. What's your second thing? It's actually interesting that we're talking about robots because my second thing is kind of a trip to the poetry corner. Kind of? That has to do with robots. Um, So I guess the poetry corner song would go a little bit like, Boom! 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 Beep! 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 Boop! Boop! Beep! Beep! Boop! 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 Beep! Up! One zero zero one. I think that's just six. Like I, I was trying to figure out how. <laughs> uh, that's not a very big nut. The robot just one zero zero one one. Okay. Yeah. Zero 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 one 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 zero. So it's a song one, then. One, one, zero, zero, zero. Okay. <laughs> Is that enough? Yeah, that's you've just said actually that was the word poetry. You spelled it. Uh, what do you mean this is kind of a trip to the poetry? What well, because we it is about robots that write poetry. Okay. Yes, sir. Okay. <laughs> Are we talking about Robert Frost? Because I've always had my suspicions. No, we're not. We're actually talking about literal robots that have composed 
poems using code. Are we talking about like some deep mind shit? Like uh uh like cloud based AI like generating scripts for like an episode of Seinfeld, like that a little bit that kind yeah, of shit. Okay. A little bit. Uh, so this was actually a New Yorker article that I saw today uh, called uh, From the Mechanical Muse, and it was about two different poetry robots. Um, one that was an art project in 2012, um, and one that is a little bit more recent, like 2015, 2016. Okay. Uh, the first one is Potamatron. Um <laughs> And this was an art project uh, created by Ranjit Bahatnagar, uh, who t- made tweets into sonnets. Okay. So not really a robot. Not exactly. It's a well. He created code that right. did this. For me, if you don't put it into some sort of lifeless metallic husk, <laughs> then it's just soft. So you wanted like an actual conky that was like spitting out full sonnets. I mean, he doesn't have to print them out of his chest. I'm just saying there needs to be hardware in addition to the software. So what should I call it then, if not Poetry Robots? One day, they're going to put these applications inside of a, a robot, a, guy, a yeah, sleek okay. robot body. Okay, so I should have, what, Poetry Programming? Uh, no, I think Poetry Robot is still actually I the mean, best. it's catchier, It's right? way catchier. Okay, so do you know what a sonnet is? A sonnet is, it's got 15 syllables... It's nope. got 17 syllables. Nope. It's got iambic pentameter. Yes, that's true. It's four lines. It's eight lines. All right. It's uh, six lines. <laughs> <laughs> 14 lines. Each is 10 syllables in iambic pentameter. Uh, I had the I I had the ideas right. I just had the numbers very wrong. Uh, three stanzas, four lines each, and then they end with a couplet. Uh, following the A B A B rhyme scheme, right? So the first line, ab third as, line, as we call them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Potamatron um, would use a pronouncing dictionary created by Carnegie Mellon, uh, which counted syllables and recognized meter, um, and then use tweets. Um, the code required that each line be an entire tweet or essentially one complete thought. Um, and so he put together for, uh, National Novel Generation Month, uh, in 2013, put together a collection of 504 sonnets, uh, that he called, I Got an Alligator for a Pet. Okay. Mm-hmm. Is that the title of one of the sonnets? That's the title of the collection. Okay. Mm-hmm. What, did a robot also generate that? Oh, I don't know. I'm assuming so. I have not read the work. Okay. Um, more recently... Um, so here's the thing with these that unsurprisingly, they seem like they are written by a robot. Um, and so when he did a second collection of computer assisted sonnets, he relaxed his rules a little bit. He had like a, a log of all the lines that had been rejected. And many of them were because he had such rigid constraints around, you know, the iambic pentameter and the complete thought. And so he built a new program to comb through the sonnets with enjammed lines. So enjammed lines is where like the thought carries over into the next line. Okay. Uh, and made a new collection based on that. Um, and he, he talks about kind of the difficulty of, you know, in order to make it sound human generated, it can't be perfect, but then you can't make so many mistakes 
that it seems fake. I love this shit. This mm-hmm. is so absolutely my shit. Mm-hmm. This like Turing test robot poetry stuff. Well, it's funny you bring that up because the next robot, actually, they did submit it for like a Turing test Ooh. competition. Uh, so this next robot, Hafez, uh, came um, came on the scene, let's say, uh, in a little cafe in Paris. <laughs> rolled up to the microphone it was an espresso maker that just like <laughs> kind of got sentient. yeah uh it came from marjan gaz Veninijad, uh and there were two parts to her project first was figuring out the rules and then deciding obviously what the content was going to be uh and so the rules were easy because it's just programming but where were they going to get their source material uh and they what they ended up doing was building their program around the 95,000 songs in the music's lyrics database. Okay. So they used like existing songs to pull from to create the sonnets. Okay. Mm-hmm. How did that work out for this robot? <laughs> well, so the, the it's pretty sophisticated, actually. So for each poem, the robot was given a topic. So like presidential elections and then programmed to collect rhyming words from within the database uh, and string them together in kind of like related content to the topic. <sighs> okay. Mm-hmm. I'm just now thinking of it would be a really, really fun recurring segment on this show for you to read a robot poem and then read a regular <laughs> poem. And because I dollars to donuts, it's I'm not going to. It's pretty know. obvious though. Okay. So they so they submitted it to the 2016 Turing test competition at Dartmouth. Uh, the machine obviously would pass the Turing test if it can prove itself to be indistinguishable from a human. While the robot won the competition, it did not pass the Turing test. Yes. Um, but it can generate a four-line poem in two seconds. <laughs> That's faster than I can do it. <laughs> Obviously, like, I don't think robots should take over poetry. But I do think it adds some importance to poetry. Because, you know, like, anytime a robot or code is created, it is to fill a need. And the idea right. that they created this to fill the need of poetry suggests that poetry is a need. I feel like if we don't read one of these robot poems on the air, people are going to revolt. Okay, so these are from the article I mentioned in The New Yorker written by Dan Rockmore. Uh, do you want to hear Patamatron? Or do you want to hear Hafiz? Or? Uh, I don't care. Okay. <laughs> they're both they're both soulless robots creating human art. <laughs> um okay, so I'll I'll read uh the Twitter ones are a little bit rough. Although so I mentioned his how his second collection was a little looser on the rules. Right. This one's kind of neat. Uh okay. I want to be a little kid again. I'm feeling kind of empty on the low. You should unwind a little now and then. Team Stacy looking like a sleepy hoe. Back to the sunshine state. The devil is a lie. I hate myself a lot sometimes. I mean, possessive holy shit. This is the second time. I'm always catching dimes. I'm not the only one. I'm pinning this again. I love a windy, sunny day. Not coming out until tonight. I miss the happy me. I gotta find a way. I always fall into the bullshit. Why? Socks on in bed. The devil is a lie. I, I, I you don't think that seems like a robot no, poem? No, but in my defense, I didn't go to school for poetry for <laughs> 200 years. <laughs> That's not true for me at all. Uh, okay, and then, so this is the 
poetry robot that took song lyrics and turned them into poems. People picking up electric chronic, the balance like a giant tidal wave, never ever feeling supersonic or reaching any very shallow grave. An open space between awaiting speed and looking at divine velocity. A faceless nation under constant need without another curiosity. Or maybe going through the wave equation, an ancient engine offers no momentum. About the power from an old vibration and nothing but a little bit of venom. Surrounded by a sin omega T on the other side of you and me. That's fucking good. That's a good poem. <laughs> it's definitely I like I like Robot Two better than Robot One. Yeah. But if you think Robot Two is using actual song lyrics, whereas Robot One is using Twitter. So the source materials may be a little better. Yeah, I guess that's fair. Uh that's neat. I thought so. I like these neat little robots. Neat little robots. See, isn't it better if you think of them as little robots? It is. With like little quills. With little faces. Yeah. Little mustaches. Mm-hmm. I love them. Uh, here's my second. Little berets. Oh, dang. Forget about <laughs> it. Uh, I was going to do for my second thing, I was looking at some New Year's Eve traditions because there's a lot of fun ones. Uh, like, you know, black eyed peas, eating black eyed peas or the 12 grapes, uh, yeah. which we learned about like a few years ago, yeah. uh, which I believe is a Spanish tradition where mm-hmm. you're, you eat the 12 grapes with every chime of the clock at midnight. Um, and so I was looking around, but then I found out about uh, this topic and it's not exactly a New Year's Eve one. It's sort of a general holiday end of year tradition I never heard of before. And it is the magical holiday peppermint pig. Do you know? About the peppermint pig. This is totally unfamiliar to me. This is a, well, this is what it says on the tin. This is a pig made out of uh, peppermint candy. And it's about like a softball sized chunk of smooth pink peppermint uh, that has been sort of molded into an incredibly realistic looking pig. How big is this? About that big. I mean, it's about Like 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 a grapefruit. Like a piggy bank almost. Uh, kind of small for a piggy bank. You could you could easily hold it in one hand, sort of like okay. a uh, like a, a a piglet, like a newborn piglet. Aww. But it's it's very realistic. This big uh, this big peppermint pig. Uh, it looks like uh, Google it. I mean, it looks like it's got a nice heft to it. It's a very attractive looking, just like object where you, it's just the kind of thing where you see it and you think, I'd like to hold one of those. I bet it's got good heft and I bet it's really smooth. Okay. These peppermint pigs are made and sold in Saratoga Springs, New York, uh, and that is more or less where the tradition resides. It's a very, very localized uh, tradition. Uh, it is based on a Victorian holiday tradition where uh, the the pig, the animal, the pig, is sort of honored as uh, you know a symbol of good health and prosperity. Uh, and so there were candy makers in the 1880s in Saratoga Springs, uh, back when it was sort of a thriving resort town. So I guess that the like prosperity symbolism was, uh, working out for them very well. Uh, they, they started to make these, uh, these pigs as this holiday tradition that people would have. And then the, you know, there were a couple big wars in the great depression. And so they stopped temporarily, but now the peppermint pig is back baby in a big, big way. The tradition is this. After a big holiday dinner with your family, your friends, whatever, you all pass the pig around, this peppermint pig. Oh, no. And you say a fortunate thing that happened to you that year. 
And also, for this next part, you got to understand when you do buy one of these, it does come with a cloth bag and a small metal hammer. Because what you're also <laughs> okay. supposed to do is you tuck the peppermint pig inside the bag and then you'd be like, uh, I got a promotion at the big office job. Oh. And you fucking smash it with the hammer like you're fucking Candy okay. Gallagher. I was picturing people holding this pig in their hot little hands, saying something, just doing a big... And then pass it in. That's horrifying. Yeah, I know. I know. That's what I was worried you were going to say. I'm talking about taking this attractive looking, <laughs> smooth, destroying extremely it. masterfully crafted little candy pig and then tucking him in a little cloth bag for his discretion and comfort. And then you take the pig and you say like, well, I met Susan this year and that's what's special to me. <laughs> 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 and you smash it up a little bit and then you reach inside the bag, you grab a little piece and you eat it. You pass it to the next person. They okay. take it. They I say something like great this. that happened to them that year. They say some bullshit. They take this little hammer. The hammer is awesome. The hammer is like a little, um, uh, I don't know how to describe it. It's like a, a, a rock hammer that Andy Dufresne uses to escape <laughs> the prison. It's essentially that. Uh, and I don't know, just aesthetically, it's my shit. It is this yeah. like, these pigs are so beautiful. They're like this bright neon Can you pink. show me a picture? Oh, wow. I didn't expect that level of detail. It right? looks like an actual pig. It looks like I an I thought it would look like a little, like a little like animated a cartoon, cartoon pig. pig. No, I'm no saying it looks like a real pig. It's a real ass looking pig. It just looks really nice and you smash it up and you eat it and it tastes <laughs> apparently a lot like candy canes. My actual theory as to the origins of this is some candy makers fucked up making candy canes and so the red and the white mixed together to make this pink and they were like well I guess let's shape it into a pig and say that it's a tradition now here in Saratoga Springs uh, but I I like it I like it and you know next no, year I want to import we're gonna import they do sell them online it's like 25 bucks for a pig a bag and a hammer and the, <laughs> and the courage that you need it's my favorite song by the way a pig, a bag, and a hammer. Uh-huh. It does sound like some, uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, hey, do you want to know what our friends at home are talking about? Ain't, yes, please. Ain't, ain't peppermint pigs. Uh, Aurora says, it's wonderful when I'm in the middle of cooking and missing an ingredient, and I actually have all the things to make a decent substitution. Christmas morning, everyone was psyched for waffles, and uh, we actually could have them because I had baking soda and cream of tar- tartar. Cream of tartar? I've always heard tartar. Yeah, I have too. Cream of tartar. I know. To make up uh, for the missing baking powder. I like that too, but I, I also feel too. like it never, ever, ever happens. And I I'm did so that recently. Shit. We didn't have eggs. Uh, and I read online how you can like substitute eggs yeah. using, you know, vegan, vegan ingredients. <laughs> Roll them into egg shapes. Uh, Erica says, my small wonder is going through the car wash. It's fun to experience such a super powerful cleansing process and get all the benefits of cleaning while sitting still and letting a giant machine do all the work. I haven't been through a car wash in forever. It's been a while for me too. We should take Henry through one. I bet he'd like it. I bet he would too. Or be scared. be scared and then there's nothing we can do about <laughs> and it. trapped in there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, folks, thanks for listening. Thank you to Bowen and Augustus for these for a theme song, Money Won't Pay. You can find a link to that in the episode description. And thank you to Maximum Fun for having us on the network. Yeah, thank you, Maximum Fun, for hosting our show and other great shows that are funny, that are insightful, that are poignant, that are, you know, topically relevant in a way that ours is not. You can check out all the shows at MaximumFun.org. 
Uh, and uh, hey, thanks to everybody who came out to Candlelights for our uh, live show and for yeah, bearing with us so as we uh, as we sort of took some time off during the holidays. But now we're back. This this episode has this episode felt weirdly like even more chill than usual to you. Yeah, it does. I'm not hating it. Like I'm liking. I uh, God knows <laughs> that like I could use like a nice chill sort of 45 minute period. I feel like we we just went out to lunch together and just caught up on yeah. things we like. I do too. I like that. Maybe we maybe we lean more into like the NPR fucking just maybe like we start lying down while we record. Maybe we start lying right down <laughs> when we record. That would be a weird energy to talk about like pube maintenance during. But maybe we'll give it a shot. Well, we have any number of shows left to talk about pube maintenance. We can try it in any number of positions. That's a fair point, babe. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported. Friendly Fire is a podcast about war movies, but it's so much more than that. It's history. It was just supposed to be another assignment. It's comedy. Under no circumstances are you to engage the enemy. It's cinema studies. It's a hell of a combination. So subscribe and download Friendly Fire on your podcatcher of choice. Or at MaximumFun.org. And also come see us at San Francisco Sketchfest on January 16th. You can get tickets at sfsketchfest.com. Oh, shit.